morning and welcome to episode 325 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from BaseballPerspectives.com. I'm Sam Miller, joined as always by Ben Lindbergh, and today we have no guests. Uh, it's just you and me, Ben. How are you? Okay. Uh, so, Ben, you went to see Built to Spill, which is one of my, uh, I don't know, favorite bands. <laughs> so, uh, how was that tonight? It was great. That was my first time seeing them. Uh, live as opposed to the other ways one would see them. Um, it was it was good. It was really good. Was it loud and swirly? Yeah, uh, it, yeah. It was. I mean, it it sounded like the the songs are supposed to sound. I know they they have a reputation for being sort of unpredictable. Live is what I've heard. Uh, wasn't really that unpredictable, but it was. You know, it was good. They had some trouble staying in tune it seemed like between songs presumably because they were rocking so hard <laughs> i uh you were so interested in my uh well not interested but you were so uh, so flattering of my camera obscura headline yeah uh, on today on the site today mm-hmm. so i spent when you told me that you were going to the built to spill concert i spent all day imagining uh, built to spill headlines <laughs> and the best the, i think the best that i could come up with it it would be a, it would have to be a very specific article but it would be uh keep it like a seagrist <laughs> that's good yeah that would have been good when i wrote about seagrist that one time exactly i was wondering why you didn't maybe I'll, the headline at the time. I'll go back and change go it. back and change it <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, no, one, no one would mind no all right uh it's email friday mm-hmm. we're doing emails on fridays now Yes. All right. So I'm going to start with an email from from Annie, okay. uh, who uh, who says my question regards National League pitchers and hitting, and there are a few parts to it. I've always sort of wondered why starting pitchers don't work on hitting more. It seems like these guys, many of whom hit regularly, at least through college, would be able to contribute significantly more than they presently do if they were fo- focusing on hitting. It also seems like a team that had its pitchers work on hitting better would stand to gain quite a bit from it. I assume the main reason for restricting them is just that having them out there on the bases and running around increases their risk of injury, and teams value them too highly to take that risk. But correct me if I'm wrong. I guess the first part of the question is, do you think any team would ever start encouraging its pitchers to focus extra on hitting, with the goal of them becoming hitters at least on par with, say, the average NL middle infielder? Or do you think any pitcher, say, Garrett Cole, would be allowed to take it into his own hands to do this? It seems to me that just not having the ninth spot in your order be an automatic out could make a significant difference in the game. The second part is how much better would a pitcher have to get at hitting to override teams' fears about increased injury risk? Um, so uh, the question, I guess, at, at, at its heart is how much better do you think pitchers could be if they tried? I mean, the, the fact of the matter is that uh, major league hitters – uh, have been selected because they are like the one percent of the best one percent of the best one percent in the world. I mean, what they do hitting major league pitching is staggering. It's an accomplishment that is almost you know unfathomable. Mm-hmm. And so the idea that by practicing an extra twenty minutes a day, uh, a non-professional hitter would be able to to improve a great deal might seem like folly. But on the other hand. These guys do get base hits. Every single one of them gets a base hit at some point. So they're mm-hmm. clearly there, at least if not in the 1% of the 1% of the 1%, at least in the 1% of the 1%. Mm-hmm. So how much better do you think a 350 OPS hitter could be 
if he actually tried, if he if he committed <clears throat> himself wholeheartedly to becoming a good hitter? Probably not that much better. Um, mm-hmm. I, there's a there's a difference between American League pitcher performance as hitters and National League performance as hitters. I have those numbers. I yeah, have, I those, have numbers. those numbers. I'm saying them. For- well, I have them too, though. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, we won't have them. Mine are more accurate. Uh, so National League pitchers this year had a 324 OPS, and American League pitchers this year had a 213 OPS. So hang on, hang on, you are incorrect. What? You are incorrect. Both of those numbers are false. Uh, how? Where are you? I'm at Baseball Perspectives. <laughs> oh, no. uh, I'm on reference. Um, I have as pitcher. I'm on their uh, split, the league splits page as pitcher. As pitcher. Hmm. Hmm. What's, well, what's they're, this they're close. That you should. I have. <laughs> I have 341 for the NL and three and 224 for the AL. Which, but regardless of the difference, we don't have to sort that out. But that's that's actually a huge difference. Yeah. Right. And, and 110 points or so. I think that's bigger than it normally is. I've looked at this in the past, and, and I've never been struck quite like I am right now. Mm-hmm. I don't think uh, we're talking about 300 plate appearances for the yeah. AL pitcher. So you're really at the mercy of small samples. I don't think that the AL pitchers are usually that bad, but let's say it's 50 points of OPS. I mean, that is entirely, unless we believe that pitchers are somehow chosen for the NL because their ability to hit, which is unlikely, that is entirely the result of batting 30 times against major league pitching yeah. um, a year. So and if 30, taking, taking more batting practice and... Taking more, I don't see... So here's my answer to Andy's question, though. Is that Last year, by I the way, it was only like 50 points difference. Yeah, I think it's usually about 50 points in my recollection. So my answer to Annie's question, I think the problem is that batting practice doesn't do this. Like, I don't think batting practice is that useful. I don't think batting practice makes you that much better of a hitter. And that um, the only thing that makes you a better hitter at this level is standing up there um, and facing 98-mile-an-hour fastballs and and highest-level breaking balls on a semi-regular basis. Mm-hmm. So you, there's not much you can do unless you're willing to let Garrett Cole, uh, you know, pinch hit every time a game, you know, there's a six-run lead to just get him more accustomed to it. There's really not that much you can do. I think the, the only thing that a team conceivably could do is instead of using the DH throughout the minors, as is the custom, you could have your pitchers hit all the way up the system. The problem is that then there's a hitter in your system who's not getting the development. I mean, DHs mm-hmm. are usually position players who are also needing development as hitters. So you're sacrificing to do that. But, I mean, it's conceivable to me that a team might decide that it that uh, it wants to keep its pitchers somewhat accustomed to hitting and, and gain that benefit um, as they move up the system. Um, but I don't think batting. I don't think any amount of batting practice is going to make much difference. Batting practice is simply not. Batting practice can never mimic Matt Harvey, mm-hmm. and uh, it's more than anything. It's the ability to conquer the fear um, yeah. that that pitch is going to hit you in the forehead. There's that. There's uh, also just the repetition of seeing thousands and thousands of pitches and knowing what break looks like and being able yeah. to anticipate that. That's I. I mean, a pitcher's never going to. I mean, what Annie said about like an average NL middle infielder, that's way out of the question. I think that you couldn't get close to that. You could 
you could get less terrible. Um, so I don't know about how good you'd have to be to outweigh the, the injury risk. I mean, it's true that I guess that, that starters have a lot of downtime. I mean, they're, they're, I don't know, doing wind sprints and working out and they have a throw day and everything, but presumably they could, they could probably take more BP, but like you say, that probably wouldn't help that much. So, uh, I, I don't know what you could, what you could really do. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, yeah. I think pitchers should just stop hitting. <laughs> that would be a solution. I, well, you know, my my understanding growing up was always that hitters uh, pitchers were too busy learn, you know, working on their pitching to hit. Yeah. And and so I I kind of came into this initially thinking that that was the answer, but then I realized that during batting practice, they're the ones who are shagging. Mm-hmm. You know, they're the they're the ones bored out in the outfield uh shagging fly balls. So clearly there is time. I mean, they do have downtime, but I, yeah, like I don't think you can. I don't think that batting practice is all that useful. Uh, there was actually a question that I don't think we'll answer, but uh, it, ref- it it asked uh, if like what the consequences would be if if an NL team or if it, sorry if the National League as a whole uh, decided to one up the AL and simply remove the pitcher from the lineup and go with an eight man lineup mm. and. It does occur to me that, like, that's a good question. Why do you think they replaced the pitcher with a DH instead of just removing him? Like, what's the point of adding the DH? Why not just say the pitcher doesn't have to hit? Uh, I don't know. Players like the DH. Maybe. I guess I guess that's true. That, Probably players do like it, and, yeah. of course, the union likes it. Yeah. Yeah, all right. Okay, uh, next question. Um, Mark asks about the Phillies and Mark asks Mark sent us multiple emails about this so I don't know if I'm going to read the whole the whole the whole line but uh the Phillies just hired an analytics guy you might have heard about this everybody out there um and the link he sends us the headline is pretty telling the headline from the good fight uh this the SB Nation Phillies blog is Phillies hire the analytics guy they're going to ignore um, and there's a link to a very well-written article, a well-written piece about uh, why you shouldn't expect the Phillies to become sabermetric uh, just because they hired a sabermetrician. Uh, Mark asks a series of questions about the Phillies and whatever. Um, but I, I don't know where you want to pick this up because I know you want to talk about this. Um, I just, yeah, I mean, I just wanted to generally react to the, <laughs> the news. Of, yeah, I mean, just go ahead. Take it wherever you want. I, I mean, I assumed I'll, once we knew that, that Ruben Amaro was hiring a stat guy of some sort and it seemed like maybe he'd been talked into that or forced to do that by ownership or, or something, but and he was very clear all along, like, we're not changing the way we're doing things. It seemed like he was more interested in finding out how other teams are analyzing players which he thought would help them when they're dealing with those other teams. More interested in that than... Which is such a weird thing. Like, that's such a weird thing. Like, they're hiring a guy from the league. Basically, the guy they hired is... He's from the... um, He's from basically, like, the league's, I don't know, arbitration department. He works on arbitration cases. They didn't hire him, is the thing. They They did. Well, that's the the twist, right? Yes. He's a... He is. He has the most demeaning uh, job in history, which is called an externship. Yes. He is not an intern. He is an extern. So all along, I figured that that they would get some guy and they would, 
you know, just stick him in some office in the basement or something and probably not listen to him, but he would sort of check the, the stat guy box. Um, and it's, but you know, the guy would like have a salary and get benefits and everything and, and have his name on the website or something. It's not even, not even that. Uh, it's, it's just, it's just a, a guy who's, like outsourced or loaned out from from the labor relations department as just a like a temp basically he's like one of those people who used to show up in like the sitcom the office and like michael would make them do menial tasks and stuff he's just and maybe it will turn into something if they if they like him if he doesn't contaminate them with his with his stats like i, I don't know it's crazy i mean if at this point the the phillies you know, assuming what we think of of where their analytics or lack thereof stand, they're so far behind that it's pretty tough to to catch up now. Because it's not like even if they hired one full time person, I mean that's the bare minimum. They'd be behind everyone else still with years of work to catch up on. And this doesn't really seem to be much progress toward that even. All right, I'm going to make the case now that the Phillies are actually the geniuses in this situation. I'm going to try. Okay. Um, so, you know when you're filling out your March Madness bracket, if you're in a bracket like an office pool with like 50, you know, 50, 50 entrants, the, 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 only good, the only good strategy is to pick a bunch of teams that are not likely to win because what you want to do is differentiate yourself from the herd because, you know, basically if, if, if you got if if fifteen teams are picking you know uh, uh, Wisconsin to win it all to pick a team that never wins it all and uh, and Wisconsin does win it all and you're one of the fifteen well you only have a one in fifteen chance of 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 actually winning the pool anyway right because everybody else picked Wisconsin too so your odds aren't that great but if you pick uh, you know Florida State and and Florida State's like a six seed. And you're the only person who picked Florida State. If they make it, you're you're the only you know you win it. That's it. All you need is basically one thing to happen. And so it's it's good to basically go against the grain when there's you know a large pool of people. So the Phillies, if 29 teams are all using stat heads and are all making decisions and competing with each other on the same playing field, um, then maybe the Phillies are smart to be playing on a different field. I mean, we talk about this all the time with. Small market teams that we know are going to lose, like you know, we like we talked recently about the uh, the Joe Posnanski piece that I loved so much from like eight years ago, where he talked about how the Royals should just be signing five foot seven right-handers who only throw eighty four mm-hmm. because nobody else is trying to sign those guys, and who knows, it probably won't work, but maybe it will. Uh, nobody else is doing it. It's like sort of just this classic differentiation. So maybe the Phillies are figuring. Look, if 29 guys are all fighting for Scott Feldman because his FIP is good, we're going to be the one team that like basically has a, a an obstacle-free path to what we want to do. And and maybe what we want to do isn't as good as what everybody else is. Like we're picking Florida State. There are six. You know, everybody else is picking Wisconsin or Duke. They're ones. I mean, clearly you'd rather have a one than a six. But you've got obstacles on the mm. way to the one. We've got a clear path on the way to the six. It's, maybe it's absolutely brilliant, right? Couldn't it be brilliant? Nobody was fighting for Delman Young. Delman Young sucked, <laughs> but what if Delman Young had been great? Like, he could have been. But he couldn't have, though. 
He could have, though. He could have. <laughs> Jeffrey Core had that amazing year for Dayton Moore once. You know, like, it could, it can work. Like, you only need one thing to happen, and that one thing is like pigs flying. But still, you only need one thing. <laughs> it's a valiant, valiant attempt. I Like, <laughs> maybe if the other teams didn't have scouts, <laughs> I would say there was, there was something to it. But they have scouts yeah. also. <laughs> so... It's just depriving yourself of information that everyone else has and not really gaining any extra information. Unless unless they're funneling all of their non-stat head money into like paying more scouts who are better at scouting, um, then no. Uh-huh. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Good try. I love, try though. I just love this. I love this position, externship. <laughs> The most insulting thing you could say about a person. I mean, I guess the the guy has a full time job. I guess with MLB, right? So he's oh, we would kill for his job. Like you right. and I would both kill for his job. Well, and I mean, probably not. But anyway, you you wrote that piece about how you don't want to work in baseball. But I would kill for his job. Okay. Uh, I would I would gladly have Ruben Amaro ignore me. <laughs> As it is, he's, in fact, that's yeah, what I do all day right every day. Now, so. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh. All right. Uh, do you think the Phillies are going to – I mean, the, the 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 question about the Phillies is, is relevant. I mean, like how long can they keep doing this? I, I have a – I have a – I talk to a lot of people about baseball who don't know that much about baseball. And, and they're curious about statistics and analytics and they want to know about this, you know, this money ball thing. And, and, and a line that I have that I use a lot and that I thought was true until about 20 minutes ago when I heard about the Phillies was that – I always tell them, like, basically every team today is more stat savvy than the Moneyball A's were. That it's just, like, been so absorbed that the most Philistine um, – Philistine is the right one? No. What's the one? Uh, <laughs> not Philistine. Uh, <laughs> never mind. Hmm. Anyway, uh, the, the most uh, backwards team is, is, you know, still has just reams and reams of data, right? Mm-hmm. And and so now I find that, like, I, I guess I didn't really appreciate the extent to which the Phillies were 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 against this. I, I, I sort of knew that they were, like, the 29th or 30th team in analytics, but I didn't realize how aggressively they were against it. So how long do you think <laughs> a team can, can, really, can really hold this position? I mean... Is this is this like their last year, or are we still going to be having this conversation about some team in Major League Baseball, maybe not the Phillies, but some team in ten years that just continues to be like uh, culture warring it? I don't know if there are any other teams now. Even it kind of has Luddite. to. It has Luddite to, is what I was going oh, okay. for. Luddite. Yes, it has to be the Phillies. I feel like because just about everyone else is on board, like except for maybe the, the team could change though. A team could change. Yeah, it seems sort of unlikely that it would go backwards. Like well, they just the Mariners went backwards. Yeah, but not to the extent that they just have no one doing analytics. No, um, but they could. Could uh, I don't. I think it lasts as long as Amaro lasts. Um, <laughs> so yeah, maybe this year. <laughs> so, I I mean it it could keep going. Like it it could have. This was the way they operated before, right? And they were a successful team before because they, for a while there, had sort of pre-Amaro had really great scouting and they 
built this team with this homegrown core and Utley and Rollins and Howard and all these people. Uh, if you could sustain that, if he had shown the ability to continue finding and drafting people like that, then then it could go on indefinitely, I guess. But clearly that hasn't happened. Uh, so his his leash can't be that long right now. And unless the the Phillies get their new TV deal and they go out and, and spend a ton of money and win despite kind of not really having a lot of young talent ready right now. Um, but I, I don't know that he would still be the guy there. And it seems to me like whoever the next person is, if ownership is fed up with Amaro at some point and gets rid of him, they'll probably want to change course and do exactly what Amaro didn't do. Uh, and that would be probably hire someone, make the extern a full-time employee. Mm. Um, all right. So uh, John asks, um, on the most recent Behind the Dish podcast, Keith Law interviewed Scott Boris on some of his top free agent clients, Ellsbury Chu, Drew Morales. For all of them, he quoted classic stats and seemed to specifically focus on RBI totals. And Keith sat there silently. I found this bizarre. This is a conversation between two experienced industry insiders who both know full well that GMs are not evaluating Morales based on his RBI totals. What's the deal? Uh, did you? I didn't. I didn't hear this podcast. Did, did you hear this podcast? No, I, I normally listen, but I have not heard this episode. So, um, to to the specific point, I guess we can't really speak to it. I I um, I mean, I'm, I I don't know. I just completely speculating. I imagine that from from Keith's perspective. Um, you know, you get to choose which direction the interview is going to go. And if he starts just, you know, like, like he can have a nice cordial conversation with Scott Boris in which Scott Boris is really open and shares a lot of information and has a great conversation that is useful to the audience. Um, or he can start, you know, being like, you know, insulting him. And then the interview will be a different kind of interview that, you know, might be more fun or might not be. I probably would have gone the way that he did. Um, but uh, I, and I don't really know if that's where Keith was or, or what. But anyway, uh, as to the question, uh, we are going to, uh, you know, we're going into the into the off season, and we are going to hear Scott Boris talk about his players a lot over the next month and a half. And he is going to talk about RBIs and he's going to talk about wins and that sort of a thing. Uh, and and I, it does seem like a good question because I can't imagine that these things come up in negotiations anymore. Do they? My impression of those, you know, the binders he produces for his clients yeah. uh, is that no one looks at the binders except the client. The client looks at the binders and thinks that his agent is doing a really great job and making this big binder. And then they get sent to the teams and the teams use them as paperweights or something. Um, uh-huh. The only difference though i guess is that or the exception is that boris sometimes goes straight to the top right so he doesn't the owner yeah so if he if he's going to the owner then he's speaking the owner's language and maybe the owner's language is rbis and wins or i don't know if maybe he's if he's trying to to build some sort of public opinion also he's appealing to the fans of the team possibly mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. to put pressure on on ownership or on the front office and most fans are still looking at those stats so i i doubt that if he's having a conversation with a general manager he's saying exactly the same thing that he was saying to keith 
and if he's in an arbitration panel, though, he is. That's a yeah. that's sort of a weird thing where if you're in arbitration, then RBIs matter. But if you're in free agency, they probably don't. Yes. Uh, so that's probably how it is. But we don't we don't technically know. Uh, but I don't know. Maybe you do leave. I mean, you know, if you're if you're Boris, you don't, you know, if you're an agent, uh, you can say whatever you want, right? You can start however you want. You can say you drove in 120 RBIs. I mean, probably the team isn't going to be like, you know, screw you, Boris. I don't believe in RBIs either. He'll probably be polite. He'll just mm-hmm. like Keith. He'll probably be polite and say, okay, well, where can we find common ground? So it actually wouldn't surprise me necessarily if if he led with the most flattering statistic, whatever that is. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't really know. I don't know. It does seem like a weird, a weird, um, venue for, for RBIs to come up because yeah, clearly maybe Keith he Law is a different kind of an audience. Didn't, yeah, didn't, didn't realize who would be listening to Keith Law's podcast. I don't know. I want, do you think that war is in any of Scott Boris's binders at this point? Uh, maybe, yeah, probably. I mean, if the if the war makes the player look better, right? Then then the RBIs, it's probably in there. And if the RBIs like make the player look better than the war, it's mm-hmm. probably in there. Sure. Probably the FIP is in there when it's lower, and the ERA is in there when it's lower. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, James asks, "What if baseball allowed two way substitution, allowing a player who had left the game to return? Um, is baseball the only sport that doesn't?" Uh, asking me about other sports. I- I don't know. I can't think of I can't think of one. Volleyball? Uh, what? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know. No, I can't. Volley, I can't. Has <laughs> I can't rule out the possibility because I don't really watch other sports. But the ones that I've seen have have that. So. Okay, so let me turn this into a very specific question. Okay. If if baseball allowed two way substitution, once you came out of the game, you could go back in the game. Would there be more roster spots or fewer roster spots? <clears throat> fewer? Fewer, right? Because you wouldn't need you wouldn't have any need for emergency could, situations. Yeah, and, and you can you can mix and match pitchers. You you wouldn't need like three situational lefty guys, right? You could just you could take one. Oh, you could just have your back, one lefty. Unless you're worried that that he's hurt his arm once he cools down or something, but you could, yeah, instead of just using four different relievers to get through an inning, you could presumably go switch them off, alternate or something. Um, so this is, yeah, this is sort of this classic place where, where there are two conflicting desires I have for baseball. Uh, one is for the quality of play to be high and for the best players to be in the game. The other is for things to get kind of nervous and tense mm-hmm. and, so in in the one hand, if you could do this, you you'd see a lot higher quality of play. Um, you know, you could you could have matchups more. You could have um, well, basically that's what you could do. You could have matchups more. You could have you know defensive specialists a lot more and, and offensive specialists a lot more. But on the other hand, like I really like the idea that once you go to your second catcher, you start to get nervous because like what if he gets injured or once you run out of position players. You know that like any any minute Randy Wynn could have to come in and play third base because you're out of position players. Mm-hmm. So there's there's two competing drives, I guess, in in the entertainment value of the game. I, I think I like the I think I like the limited roster more. Yeah, I think I think I almost always like the idea that a pitcher could be playing left field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. 
Yeah. All right. Uh, and Chris asks, uh, this will be the last question. Chris asks, listening to the Colin Wires send-off show last week, it occurred to me to ask, of all the former internet scribes who have taken MLB front office positions over the past few years, who is likeliest to write a ball four style expose of that side of the business someday? Or will they all be precluded from doing so via confidentiality agreements? They will be, but that's part of the equation. Who right. is likely to break that confidentiality agreement? Mm -hmm. And you you know more people than I know. <laughs> um, yeah, I, don't, I had a confidentiality agreement just as an intern, so I can't imagine what, and I did. they didn't tell me anything. So I don't know what, mine was like a two-year thing, I think. Maybe I wasn't supposed to talk about stuff. So these guys, I have no idea how long it would be. It might be even longer. Um, I don't know. Colin, probably. <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not Kevin. I think everybody thinks it's Kevin because he's so punk rock. Uh -huh. But for all of his punk rockness, Kevin is a, Kevin is a good company man. Kevin, Kevin, yeah. Kevin falls in line when he's, uh, you know, when he's working for you. He's a, he's a loyal employee is what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be Kevin. Yeah, I I don't think I don't it's it I don't know I I don't think it's likely to to happen. Maybe maybe long I mean, after when the statute of limitations see. on the on the NDA has expired, someone could do some sort of memoir. But I don't know. I, well, I could see. I mean, I think uh, like Russell when his I don't know when his expires mm -hmm. or if it would. But if if there was a point where it was non threatening to his employer. Mm -hmm. uh, I think Russell could write a wonderful memoir. I'm sure he could, but even then, if you have any, if you're harboring any hopes of working for another team, which a lot of people are, if they've had some sort of consulting gig for a while, then that that would probably hurt you. A, a team would okay, be so less likely you, to, you, to hire you. You'd have to, you'd have to have switched careers basically, or be retired or something. So Bill James. Yeah. Yeah, I guess Bill James is a logical one. He's he's writing all the time as it is, not about Red Sox stuff, but yeah, uh, he's already got a fairly loose tongue. He's already he's got a very uh, he's got a very uh, he does say it seems like he's got a very flexible confidentiality agreement. Yeah. Whatever whatever non disclosure agreement he's he's signed mm -hmm. does not preclude him from speaking more than most. And he's basically he's, you know he's near retirement age, and he's a celebrity. I mean, wh no matter what he says, he could get hired again. Yeah. Or maybe he wouldn't care. Or maybe he wouldn't care. He either wouldn't care or he could get hired again. I mean, nobody's he's more powerful than a non-disclosure agreement. So, so it's Bill James. Yeah, probably. You're right. He's not a former internet scribe, though. He is, he is, he is currently writing on the he internet, has, but he, he has is a website. not. Yeah, he's, he does, but you know, he's he's not a he didn't get he didn't get to the Red Sox because he had a really cool Tumblr. <laughs> no, not really. Yeah. All right. Uh, so Bill James, we agree. Good questions this week. All of you really turned it up a notch. I guess now that baseball is over, you have no, you have nothing to fill your time. So you've been writing us emails, but good ones. Uh, so okay, so that's it. We'll be back next week with more shows. Uh, send us emails for next week at podcast at baseballperspectus.com. Uh, Wait, yes, ben, sorry, ben, go ahead. Are we taking Veterans Day off? <sighs> Uh, I don't know. You're really putting me on the spot here. Well, you could always delete this. <laughs> yeah, maybe I will. I don't know. We'll talk about it off air. All right. Uh, join our Facebook group at Effectively Wild. 
uh, facebook.com slash group slash effectively wild. Lots of people talking about interesting things in there. And rate and review us and subscribe to us on iTunes, which is very quick. Just open up iTunes and type in the name of our podcast, and there will be stars there that you can click on uh, according to how many you think we deserve. So thank you for listening this week. Have a wonderful weekend, and we will be back next week.